0: You're listening to the Viral Volley Podcast podcast. Now here's your host, Rob, on the mic. Alright guys, just concluded week 10 of the NCAA Division 1-2 men's volleyball season. And as we just discussed, we're calling it the Rumbling, Stumbling, and Tumbling Week. Because uh, although there wasn't a whole lot of matches going on and people traveling to other conferences... We had some shakedowns up top, so but we'll get to that. First of all, BYU snaps a nine-match losing streak. I can't remember last time that happened with two wins over Concordia. Um, thoughts on uh, BYU and that Concordia matchup, because that is big news when a team as powerful as BYU goes that kind of skid. And we'll start with
1: you, Dave. It's your home conference team. All right, all right. Uh, yeah, night one was in pretty convincing fashion. Night two was really good volleyball. Uh, by both teams the takeaway is Gardini is having an unreal season if you just watch right like the amount the amount of load that that guy is carrying in terms of everybody knows the ball's going to him and he's still finding ways to kill the ball the range that he hits with and um, you know he deals with less than ideal situations a lot of times and he finds creative solutions to put the other team in bad spots so um, yeah I think we've been talking about that BYU is a good team them losing their setter. Obviously, there's something going on within that program, but Gardini is a handful, um, and so is their other left side right now. I know their right side is back and forth, but they're a good
2: team.
0: Yep. How about you, Dan? Thoughts on the BYU so far?
2: I think Gardini is just making sure his stock stays high for his pro career after he's done. But. I'm not surprised. I, I, in terms of Concordia playing better the second night, that's not surprising either. They, they got there the first night, probably had to, you know, deal with elevation for some of those kids, maybe for the first time as a group, you know, and then second night looked a little bit better and uh, but also not surprised that you're going to see BYU continue to get better and have some of those less experienced pieces, gain some experience and gain some confidence, and get some wins. Yep.
3: And Jay. Well, I know a lot of people have been watching this show. If anybody out there is listening that knows somebody who works at Ben Gay, you could do a sponsorship every week in the NIL department. Gardini <laughs> should be the first recipient of any kind of money that you throw down. because the kid is, his shoulders gotta be just killing him. Uh, you know, everybody knows an outside hitter is going to be the cleanup guy. Uh, you're, you're not going to get a lot of great stuff at times and, and you got to do something with it. And Dave touched upon the creativeness of it. You know, we're seeing a lot of guys, Gardini being, you know, one of the leaders in this, just showing different ways to find a way to get a kill, you know, there's lots of ways to do it. And, you know, his, his ability to terminate not only when sets are in system, but out of system. And when everybody knows it's going to him and still being able to do it. Yeah. That just shows the level of that guy. I think his stock's going to be just fine going pro. Somebody out there is going to want to have that guy on the team. So hats off to him for, for sticking up this weekend.
1: Yeah. I I think you know what? I think right. Sean Olms said, right? I, I think I mentioned this last week. Jordan, my wife, you know, goes, hey, he looks like Ted Lasso. And I wouldn't be su- surprised if they have a Believe poster in their locker room going right now because he's doing a good job keeping those guys t- playing hard.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, they, they definitely have a uh, shortage of talent they've had in recent years. You got a name like Gabby Garcia, Fernandez, Will Stanley, Zach Eschenberg. I mean, uh, it's all Davide Gardini this year. And uh, you know, every, every once in a while, you'll sprinkle Romulus in there. So... Um, let's go our next topic Uh, Penn State Ohio State with Penn State winning twice there Uh, Penn State still flexing their muscle and they're on a good
2: run right now Uh, we'll go with a start on Dan on this one well I'm certainly it doesn't surprise me I think we talk about what Penn State's doing and the level they're playing I think the interesting topic is going to be St. Francis flexing their muscle on Ohio State uh, and getting that win and I mean, that's a, that's three matches for Ohio state in a week as well. Uh, and I think that's certainly a wear and tear uh, in, on any team. I think Jay just did that. And we talked about Irvine played three matches in three days. And so um, I don't know what those coaches were thinking. They're crazy, but uh, I played two matches in Hawaii and had a day off in between. And I still think that's a lot. <laughs> so, But back to Penn state, I'm not surprised. I, I think, you know, those guys are finding ways to sustain the level of play they need to. And, Ohio State's a good team. Martin uh, Lelo, Lelo is, it is back on the court for those guys. And so, uh, you know, and they, I think they went four in the last second night. And so, but, uh, but yeah, no surprise at all with Penn State and what they're doing. Let's
1: jump over to Dave. Uh, yeah, I mean, Ohio State without the kid from Cypress is not nearly as good as they would be. That's, that's really what it is. And Penn State is a veteran team, so they're going to win matches like that pretty easily. Um, we'll see. For me, it's a bummer that their their trip from early in the year isn't a little bit later because I'd want to see, is that, would that still be the case, right? They came and they lost to Santa Barbara. They came and they lost, you know, they ended up beating Long Beach State in five, but they were 0-3 on that back-to-back West Coast trip. I would have liked to see one of those trips um, in March to see if that's still the case with how they're playing because that's sort of how I measure them right now.
0: And let's close out with uh, Jay, his home conference team, Penn State.
3: Yeah, well, I'll tell you right now, uh, I've got three coaches this week that need to be fired, apparently, according to Volley Talk, and that one is Birch. You know, how dare you lose to a St. Francis team? I mean, that's unbelievable. You can't have that. So, see you, Birch. It's been a great run. <laughs> uh, but anyways, I'm not surprised. Penn State's really good. Uh, and Ohio State, like Dave mentioned, without the kid from Cyprus, it's just – they're they're a they're a decent team. They're not bad. It's just they're not as good as they could be without that kid. And so, you know, a lot of teams at this point of the year, if, if you're you're starting to figure some things out and you got, the, you got your big hitters out there and they're, you know, working well together, you're gonna be doing pretty well. And right now, Ohio State's one of those teams that doesn't seem to have that one go-to player. I know Pasteur is doing his best, uh, but I, I think he doesn't have a lot of support right now, and that's just the way that it is. So that's off to Penn State to keep rolling.
0: Yeah, I think Ohio State's also the guy's been chipping in's been Samuel Clark you've been seeing in the stats as well. So, you know they're they're running with what they got. It's funny because Penn State, you know, remember late night TV back in the day? There's a commercial, girls gone wild. You know, it's all the whoa, crazy spring break uh, I know, Family Show. Hey, hey, yeah, I'm saying yeah. the Nittany Lions have gone wild because they're all about Brett Wildman this week. I mean, he had over, close to 30 plus kills in three mat. I'm sorry. 27 kills in two matches and hit well over 500, and he's just been such a hot hand since that uh, the Long Beach matchup out here in uh, California. So uh, Brett Wild has really been turning it on. So many lions going wild. Watch out for the wild man. So I know, I I know, I was pushing it there. Was that a whole setup? Was that a whole setup
1: just based on his last name? (laughs) <laughs> that took a really long time to get to,
2: Rob. <laughs> hey, just know that you Ohio State gets into the conference tournament. they got enough pieces to make it pretty interesting. You know what I mean? In terms of Martin's <laughs> on the court uh, with Jacob and Samuel Clark. Uh, They'll be interesting when it gets to that time. So Yeah. All right. Well, there's been a big question mark because of Hawaii,
0: and uh, they've been a little silent, but uh, they had some uh, matches that this last week. They were pretty big for them, you know, because people wanted to see them play a really good opponent, and. Enter Dan, friend of Lewis. After you know, must have been wearing a lot of sunscreen there because uh, you don't look like you're super sunburned. So, uh, talk about the uh, Hawaii matchups.
2: Well, I like to do my job, so yeah, I wasn't laying out in the sun the entire time. Just <laughs> so yeah, you know I do what I mean. So uh, Hawaii's got—I mean, ultimately, um, we got a good group of guys. I think first night, like typically, anytime when you go to a venue you've never been to with most of your team, uh, and like I've been there, and Mitchum has been there, and that's it. Um, it took a little bit, I think, you know, 4,000 fans and uh, us to settle in with a serve pass piece wasn't real good the first night and they took care of us and kind of handled business. And, uh, and then the second match, I thought we were much better on the serve pass side and created a lot of problems for them. And John Davis at 19 digs and twenty some kills was pretty impressive for us. And uh, Gibbs did a nice job in the libero spot. And so uh, we pushed him could have gone five. We were, we lost that last one and we had an opportunity here and there, but uh, uh, yeah, I think uh, Super- or, uh is it yeah, they're outside and Jacob Thiel is really, really good and Boss is a handful for sure in terms of that. And so, uh, but um, they got a good group. It'll be interesting as they get into the rest of their conference play and uh, how they fare against uh, some of those teams. So, yeah. Jay or Dave, anything to add on the uh, Hawaii loose matchups?
3: Yeah, for sure. I mean, Dan touched upon it. When your team hasn't been inside of a facility like that or an arena like that with fans like that, it can be quite daunting. Um, and my, it, it's funny. I have a similar situation with my team with the past stuff going on. We, we've been in some gyms this year where only myself and my staff have been in there. And that's, that was quite shocking. I hadn't thought about that in a while and that, that, that definitely raised my eyebrows, you know, but the best part is is that, you know, Hawaii, you know, obviously it's Hawaii and Lewis is, is doing the best they can to figure out their midseason stuff. And, you know, it was still good volleyball. It wasn't bad volleyball. Uh, and I think, you know, Lewis gained some some valuable experience to be able to bring back. Because Again, it's not about, you know, anybody can beat anybody. We've seen that this weekend. Uh, and, and unfortunately, some teams that are, you know, on the screen right now didn't do what they were supposed to do at the right times but you're gaining experience and that's going to come real. That's become real valuable down the line when it gets to tournament time. Yep.
1: Hey, last, last name. You guys didn't pull the Hoosiers thing where you measure and say, Hey, the three meter line, still three (laughs) meter, you know, and you didn't, Hey, even though it's a different arena, still the same game. You didn't pull that one.
2: No, I didn't pull that one. So, you know, it is interesting. And you know this Dave, so like you go to BYU ball floats on you, you go to Hawaii, the ball drops just a little bit. You know what I mean? In terms of, it's not a big deal, but, it is actually something that exists. You know what I mean? It's like you can't go to BYU. Oh, no, the and not conspiracy the
1: theorists. So yeah. So here's your here, kid. You know. You know the ball yeah. floats
2: at BYU. It is No. Nope. <laughs> so You're here's. Totally mistaken. We so.
1: are. We're serving and passing, and and one of our guys mentions something about the altitude or elevation, and Marv looks at him dead serious and goes, "Altitude. That's only outside." And the kid goes, "Oh yeah." Hey, hey, hey. And then walks away. <laughs> <laughs> there we go.
3: I do know. Does that show the, the quality of the students that go to Pepperdine when they believe that right off the gate?
1: Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Well, then there was the debate of altitude and
3: elevation. What's the difference, coach? And I can't even tell them. Yeah. You know, so. <laughs> oh, <boy. laughs> well, listen, I, I, I will vouch for this uh, that the ball does travel at a different clip. It's not exactly the same in any level, honestly, elevation or at the sea level. It's not the same. But it also is a mentality, right? It's, it's, if you start buying into that, that's a, I'd like to think that at some point that's really kind of a, a neat little folkloric story to get people that come in there for the first time to go, uh oh, things are different. And then all of a sudden they're second guessing themselves. You can get away with it. I mean, listen, BYU plays with it all the time. So it obviously doesn't affect them too very much. So, you know, <laughs> I, I, I put a little stock in it, but maybe 1%. Well, I don't Gabby, put, I, Gabby, I was, don't put
2: any stock in it. I just – I think there's a, an awareness factor, you know what I mean? And so and uh, you have your kids embrace it and be like, all right, I can go rip the ball harder at Hawaii, you yeah. know what I mean, in terms of that. And so I think
3: yeah. this is part of the game.
1: Unfortunately, last year, Gabby aced us a lot, both at our place
3: and their place.
1: So he figured it yeah. out.
3: <laughs> well, that's because you're at altitude at Pepperdine and you're at the uh, – yeah elevation at BYU that's why
1: yeah that's true <laughs> and we we do overlook the ocean so we're not quite at Hawaii's level where the ball bites so.
3: you that's right that's right elevation it doesn't sink there. as much <laughs> I,
2: can't, I can't wait for a team in Colorado to to get one as well somewhere somewhere <laughs> up in like Aspen do you know what, <laughs> what I mean and so I'm like, you
3: know but anyway
0: the Rocky Mountain Rising Float Serve that's what they'll call it um, Aspen
3: where the where the water flows like wine <laughs>
0: <laughs> Well, let's jump to our tumbling segment because we are rumbling, stumbling, and tumbling. Uh, some top teams went down or reputable name, uh, teams went down this weekend. We're going to start with uh, UCI's 3-2 win over Long Beach State, who was number two at the time. Did you guys get a chance to watch that match, and what can you ascertain from it? And we'll start with Dan first.
2: Yeah, actually, we're not going to start with me. We're going to start with you first because we were you two there in person. Yes, I was. Ooh. Oh and guess what? This is that one time where you get to go first, buddy. So here you go. <laughs> wow,
0: it throws it back in my lap. Um exciting match. Uh Irvine goes down 0-2. And uh, but this is the thing, Irvine had been serving the the glue off the ball uh in sets one and two. I mean Heno had six aces in the first set, and we still ended up losing 25-22, I believe was a score. Um, but Irvine really turned it on offensively. You got to see Cole Gillis, who was wearing a New Jersey number that night. And uh, Charlie's theory, the uh, my uh, analyst guy saying, "Oh, he lost his uniform." There, there wasn't some kind of big motivational change in numbers. He lost his uniform, but uh, Cole Gillis ended up having a really good night. You know, hitting like fifteen some plus kills and uh, well over three hundred. But um, this is the thing: Irvine serving was on fire. I Hadn't seen it at that up until that match. Irvine's top. Ace match was eight earlier in the season, and they had six going into the second set, and then they finished with 12 on the night. So, um, Sonny uh, was playing incredibly well as well. So, the good combo of Hilaire Heno, the Frenchman, and then our Italian who lives from Maryland, uh, they were both playing really well. But the matchup that I wanted to talk about, I was going to bring it up later, was Heno against uh, uh wow, almost threw Parapunov in Nikolov. <laughs> Um, just a fun match to watch but uh, someone who kind of stole the spotlight for Long Beach State and being where I sit in my broadcast position um, you got to see a lot of things outside hitters do on the opposing side so Spencer Olivier was just so good that night you know he didn't have to rely on the full hammer on every swing and he had so many plays out of system set off the net because Irvine's serve was so tough he was getting the junk at the left pin and he was finding ways to get it done and even still hammer the ball. So I was really impressed with this performance and uh, Mason Briggs. I mean, it's gotta be one of the top lead bars in the nation right now because he's getting some really great digs and, and just good reads on Irvine. And, you know, they were, they were swinging away at the ball. So, uh, but Irvine turned it around, reversed sweep on long beach state. And, uh, you know, it was a great, great uh, step up match for Irvine, which, you know, we're going to talk about conference play, but I'm gonna leave that for later, but, you know, ha- you know, definitely Cole Gillis, uh, his play is, was the, uh, what tilted the skills.
3: Let me ask you a question. did Cole Gillis well, wear the correct number the next night and the night after that? Uh, yes, he did. So. And he absolutely forgot his jersey. I, I agree with Charlie. <laughs> I um, you know, and I think that's, that's coach number two, by the way, that we need to fire is as Alan Knight. So bye-bye, Alan, you lost to UC Irvine in your house after going up 2-0. Unranked team, all <laughs> the talkers have spoken, you've got to be fired. So, uh, no, listen, again, anybody can beat anybody, right? That's just how it is. Sonny is is obviously arguably one of the top outside hitters in the country. Uh, you know, and Heno is a, a fiery competitor, you know, got a, a live left arm, kick and hit from anywhere. He's got a heck of a serve. You know, hats off to Irvine. They, they, they you know, that's a rivalry, right? And rivalry week in football all bets are off. And now you'd see it in volleyball as well, which is really fun to watch. And, you know, that's, that's, that's a great match for people to go and see and be a part of. And so, you know, it doesn't really mean much in the whole grand scheme of things, but it definitely gives some people some momentum and it definitely gives some people a little chip on the shoulder. And, you know, obviously Long Beach wasn't too happy about it. They went three Oh, the next night, but that's still, you know, it is what it is. It's a great match.
2: Yep.
0: Yeah. Well, let's go I, to Dan. Uh, Oh, actually, Dan, since he chucked it up back over to me,
2: <laughs> I did. So, is that a like a human number for Alex Nikoloff hitting three forty-eight versus like five or six hundred? I mean, so, but uh, um, the who's uh, Hawaii's hosting the Big West tournament, right? That's already determined. Uh, yep, I think serving is going to play a big game in this, and being the benefactor of Hawaii's serve at home in go, it'll be interesting. Uh, just the, the teams in the Big West because we played Long Beach, and they've got a couple guys who bring a ton of serving pressure. You talk about Irvine's got a couple guys that are bringing a ton of serving pressure. Um, and I'd be interested in comparison in leagues, which of those teams are serving or have the most weapons. Do you know what I mean? From that service line, that can do that. And those are three teams right there from that conference that certainly can bring that pressure uh, in terms of that. But yeah, Irvine, good win for sure. Yep. Hawaii. Dave,
3: and wait, before I, before I let Dave, Hawaii has definitely got the advantage. Is there a, Four feet of elevation versus Long Beach is nine feet of elevation. So <laughs> the massive difference. That ball. That's what shape. I get.
2: That's what I get, right? Which could explain don't why, why so.
1: they don't want to come up to the field house because we're at about 100 feet. Together, <laughs> that's right. So they're just like, we're done with that. Yeah, that's, that makes right. Sense.
3: that's right. Yeah, that makes
1: sense. I like that. <laughs> nice. Nice. Dave, you Long Beach, um, you're right. Yeah, I think we're going to talk about the UCLA match probably pretty soon. Um, the reason I bring that up is I thought Irvine, Long Beach State, I mean, when I look at their numbers, they out hit Irvine. Now, that's the great thing about volleyball is we play five sets. So, you, you know, potentially play five sets. So you're going to get some skewed numbers at times. But Long Beach State served the ball in and aggressively. Irvine just did it a little bit better. Um and it made me think of the match when we played Irvine uh, a few weeks ago. They beat us, right? It's not that we came out and laid an egg. They they just played better than us. And look, Irvine played better than Long Beach State, um, which when I started looking at the UCLA match, UCLA, you know, unforced errors-wise was atrocious, right? Or Long Beach State made an opponent go out and beat them, and UCLA maybe – Was looking at their match versus Stanford and just said, Hey, we lost that match. We gave up too many points, uh, hit the ball out, served the ball out, which just isn't a good combo. So, yeah.
2: Dave, you might know this correlation. Long Beach's losses, um, have they been beaten or have they been a byproduct of unforced errors? Where, like, when we beat UCLA, it was a byproduct of UCLA's. I mean, we were okay, but I thought UCLA had some unforced errors. We talked about Stanford beating UCLA. Kind of yep. the same case, do you know what I mean? But do you yep. know Long Beach on that side?
1: Yeah, I mean, the three matches, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but I remember Penn State, it was similar, right? Penn State went out and beat them. It wasn't, you know, some tactics, and I think Allen agno- acknowledged it. There were some tactics they just needed to be better on. Uh, but Penn State went out and beat them. Uh, the UCLA, the 5 set match, I mean, just watching it live and then go back and look at the numbers, but, yeah. Long Beach State wasn't just serving out, hitting out, you know, playing with a backup setter. They still hit for really high efficiency. So uh, I would venture to say, yeah, that they've made teams beat them versus giving up matches.
2: I think that may become interesting as you get down to the end, you know what I mean, in terms of that. So, uh.
1: But what as a coach, which, I mean, you almost like the, I mean, both scenarios are okay, right, when you're winning a lot of matches. But it's just, right. hey, if we clean this up, nobody beats us, right? Yep. That's That's a nice issue to have.
2: That's well, so our game four against the Y we have nine serving ends and we lose by two. So yep. I'm like, I'd much rather be having that conversation than being like, Hey, you know, we're just not even in the ballpark. You know what I mean? In terms of that. Yep. Yep.
1: So,
2: uh,
0: well, I'm going to jump to two other upset matches and then we're going to go to the uh, Stanford UCLA, but Lincoln Memorial three one over McKendree and St. Francis three one over Ohio state. So uh didn't get to watch it, but I wanted to get your guys thoughts on those victories by those team unsuspecting teams. And we'll start with you, Jay.
3: Well, if you don't know uh, the name, Joshua Blair, the middle blocker from St. Francis, you should now. Uh, the kid's a high flyer. He's got a live arm. Um, you know, he's a little unorthodox at times, but it's, it's, he hits, at such a high clip uh, and he's, he's very effective and he's been, He's been that way for a couple of years now, but he's now starting to figure out some different ways to kill the ball. And he's got to serve that it's not, uh, it's not your traditional jump hybrid float kind of thing. It's, it wobbles a little bit and it, you know, it kind of comes at you with not much spin, but it's got a lot of velocity and kids dangerous, you know, and, it, and he could be in a lot of gyms at a lot of top programs around the country, uh, the way he's playing this year. So I'm not surprised. Um, you know, they've got a couple other guys LePrando's doing a nice job. He's a smaller outside hitter, really effective from the service line. And they got another middle blocker, Leahy, who's doing some nice things. He's got a wicked jump float, by the way, Leahy hits that thing. It's almost like watching, uh, Phil Dalhauser serve a float serve downward. He gets up there and he just hits that thing and it's got a lot of movement. So, you know, St. Francis is having a good year and good for them. You know, they've, 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 they've been kind of a, you know, an afterthought, so to speak, in the EIBA for a number of years, but now they're having another good year after you know, after having all that time. And so, you know, hats off to them. Yeah, uh, you
2: know, uh St. Francis is another tough that was at St. Francis, right? Ohio yes. State was there. I mean, that's a tough gym to play if you, I mean, it's got a way the, the wall is way, way far back. Do you know what I mean? And so, depth perception if you haven't been there before and you're trying to settle in and they get a rowdy bunch, they used to be called rummies uh Rummy's something you know what I mean rummies
3: rascals
2: rummies rascals do you know what I mean and so uh <laughs> and so it's certainly an environment where you go in and if the other team's getting in a good group it's tough you know from that standpoint so uh, yeah
1: so. Dave anything to add there yeah and Ohio State this week yeah, I thought they hit okay against St. Francis St. Francis is out hit Ohio State this week their opponents hit 390 and and they're missing 20 percent of their serves and and the opponent's still hitting that, that's that's not a good sign. So something's going on block defense-wise. But, um, yeah, I agree with, with the assessment. Yeah, the Blair went, what, what, 15 for 21 against Ohio State, I think it was.
3: 700, so,
2: yeah.
1: Yeah, there you
0: go. Zero errors. 14 kills zero errors, 700.
2: Yeah, so, the uh, link, the jump into the Lincoln Memorial thing, I was curious with that because, you know, McKinley went down the Lincoln Memorial – uh, and, and lost that, and I know those guys, that team probably wanted a little bit of revenge, but, you know, Lincoln Memorial comes off a five-set loss to Lindenwood at Lindenwood, and then goes over to McKendree and, you know, jumps all over McKendree and wins 3-0, which this is coming after McKendree, you know, had a pretty darn good match against Pepperdine, so again, you see this <laughs> kind of up-and-down wave motion of teams that are what I would say are in the middle of the pack, you know, uh, from that playing standpoint, but uh, you know, the the Lincoln Memorial Group of Cole Capusano and uh, Jacob Titus—they've been doing some really nice things for that team this year on a lot of those wins that they've got.
0: So, I think we're at the break our volleyballmag.com uh, college volleyball weekly piece there and continue the conversation on the viral volley podcast. We've gone a little long because uh, you know we just had a lot to say this week, even though there weren't as many matches, so to speak. So, um, that's uh, Dave Hunter Pepperdine, Dan Friend of Lewis, and Jay Hossick. Uh, recently tanned from Southern California for George Mason. So, hey everyone, welcome to the Vile Volley Podcast. And this is a continued conversation of College Volleyball Weekly from volleyball, uh, volleyballmag.com. Uh, I got Dave Hunt of Pepperdine, Dan Friend of Lewis, and Jay Hossick of george mason again continued conversation we were talking about some of the upsets last week and i guess we forgot to talk about one of them because i had to cut it off earlier and that is the ucla five set loss to stanford over at i believe they're in maples this last week and uh um wanted to get your guys thoughts on that and we'll start with you jay
3: well number three on the get fired list Spira losing to stanford bye-bye Spira. It's been nice seeing you at UCLA. Apparently the volley talkers have spoken and you must now be fired because you lost to an unranked team. Uh, Listen, anybody can beat anybody and Stanford is a good team. They're not a bad team. And let me point out another thing. I know we talked about it on the, on the other broadcast, but you know, somebody made a mention about St. Francis losing to Ohio state and somebody wrote underneath it. Ohio
1: state losing to St. Francis. I'm
3: I'm sorry. Yes. Ohio state losing to St. Francis. And somebody wrote, Oh, is there some kind of turmoil going on at Ohio State? And somebody—I don't know who it is—but somebody, thankfully, wrote underneath that. Can it just be that St. Francis played well? Why? Why does it have to be that the team that everybody seems to think is supposed to win? Because that's boring, Jay. Jesus, I know. <laughs> yeah, I know. What it's are boring. you doing? <laughs> I know it's boring. So I'm going to use the same thing. Can it just be that Stanford played well that night? I mean, I, I didn't look at the match. I didn't look at the stat numbers. But can it just be that Stanford had a good night? UCLA did not have a good night or maybe didn't play quite to their caliber and somebody else won. Yay. Yay. Men's volleyball. <laughs> somebody different won. That's all I care about.
2: How about you, Dan? Well, the first party, so I got to see pressure in Hawaii. Um, and uh, McLaughlin was announcing our game as well. We both talked just for a few minutes about how great it was and all the work and, uh, the Stanford alums and everybody that played Stanford and they're back playing volleyball. So let's start with that. Cause that's, that's really neat. And you see a high level match and there's some, certainly some great young talent in the Stanford gym, Will Rotman. And I mean, had some pretty good numbers that night uh, in terms of what he was doing for those guys and uh, put together a nice, nice match and was able to kind of take care of UCLA. And so it's, again, uh, I think there's, we saw this COVID turnover from some players last year that were these extra years and there's some of the teams that are on the young side, whether it's like Stanford, you know, maybe Santa Barbara, but Santa Barbara still really good. You know, like there's some of these teams and you're going to even see a couple, there's still a little bit over COVID carryover. Ball state's got a bunch of older guys and there's a few of those other teams, but some of these young players are going to get better and better at the end of the year. And it's, it's fun to watch uh, on some of these teams. Yep. And then uh,
0: Dave being that this was an MPSF matchup. I mean, got be looking at going. Wow,
1: this is gonna uh, make things a little different here in conference play. I just think. uh yes and no. Um, <clears throat> I just think there's a lot of there's a lot of conference matches to be played. Even the, there's a few number, but they're all relatively important. So, yes and no. Uh, and the big one for me, I touched on it. You know, twenty seven percent service air by UCLA. They hit out at ten percent. They had one hundred and twenty something swings, and they served hundred balls just the unforced error number was higher than they're not telling their guys to serve the ball out and they're like all of us trying to tell their guys to serve in and and be aggressive and take the team out of system you get on the road i think john had said this was their first true road trip jay you experienced it in 2020 ucla's hosting a lot of people want to come play at ucla so um they're not as clean as they want to be night one and they lose i think it's as simple as that it's not that their tactics are bad it's not that their guys all of a sudden you know the mon came down and took all their energy it's they just didn't play well and uh yeah i do think there's a little more parody you know where the records probably say ucla and long beach have won a lot more matches or their win percentage is a little higher but i do think that once we get into conference play and again in the ncaa tournament yeah you're gonna see some upsets right because there's some good teams and part of me wishes that those conference tournaments were just sort of NCAA first, second, third round, sort of like basketball has, and just play it all out as a big bracket and you got to win six to win it all. So yeah. <clears throat> well, in Stanford
3: Maples is an elevation 220 feet. So yeah.
1: yeah, that's a good point.
3: And, but all right. So here's in the NPSF, Stanford
1: always plays UCLA tough. There's for whatever reason, whether it's the guys that, that both of those programs recruit, they don't complement each other too well. Just that's always a tough match. And uh, I think a few years ago, UCLA it might have even been last year. UCLA loses up there. I think it was two years ago. UCLA goes up there and loses. So, I mean, it's, it's tough.
2: You yeah. know, Dave talks about this a lot, like you go play a team on the second night, you see the coaching matchups or the coaching changes. Uh, but I think the other thing, and we talk about this, especially this year, teams traveling for the first time and opponents gyms, maybe not being in there and how do those opposing teams respond playing the second night? If I'm, for me, I just want us to go, we go in, we get beaten three we play the second night. Do we compete where we need to? That's what I'm looking for. I think Jay probably the same thing. He goes on a road trip and he's playing these matches is his team getting better each night so they can gain kind of that experience. And it's no different with the teams that may or maybe be playing a higher level. You know, John's group goes in, Stanford plays a great match. How do they respond the second time? you know, in terms of where they're playing and how they're doing things, you know, from that standpoint, Lincoln Memorial loses to Lindenwood the second time they play against McKendree on the second night on opposing gym, they respond well. And I think <clears> as coaches, that's what you're looking for with your group in terms of it.
0: Yeah. I wanted to point out in that Stanford match is a great distribution by Nathan Litsky. They had uh, Rotman 18 kills 412, and Kevin Lampy and Luke Turner 12 kills each. So uh, excellent offense for the Cardinal, even though it was tight, because if you look at the the final hitting percentage of both teams is Stanford 348 and UCLA 344. So it was a tight one. So uh, let's jump over to our next topic. But with all this tumbling at the top, continuing over from the uh, volleyballbag.com conversation, will there be a new number one this week? Because he got a team by the name of Penn State at 15 3, 9 0 conference on 11 match winning streak with Long Beach State, UCLA losing. Hawaii is at 16 and 3. Does USC break in this week or do Long Beach and UCLA stay right where they're at? I want to get your guys' thoughts. I know you guys are voting on this and it'll come out at noon today. So, or noon Pacific time. So let's start with, uh, I think Dan's looking like
2: he's got something just to throw out there. Uh, Well, the fact that I rolled in at 4 a.m. this morning, I have not voted yet. I'm sorry. I had to jump on your, I had to get my kid to school and jump on your podcast, you know, so. uh,
1: Oh, you got to get on this podcast. Yeah, that's a privilege, jerk.
2: (laughs) Well, I I certainly want to see Jay. I really like him, but Dave, you know, I don't know. Anyway, but. Um, uh I, I don't know. It's a it's a good question. Uh I could easily put any of those four or five that you just mentioned in that number one spot. I forgot to mention uh, Santa
0: Barbara too. So
2: <laughs> I do think Santa is right there as well. So, but at the same time, I don't know. Probably becomes I don't think anybody's wrong giving any of those guys love in any particular order in terms of that being that top five or so from that standpoint. And so I'm gonna not let you know yet. I'm gonna <laughs> do my voting in about an hour. And so uh, but I'm sure the two gentlemen will share their uh, voting thing in terms of that, if they've done it so
0: far. So, all right. Who's feeling like they want to take a stab at it next?
3: Well, listen, I I got home at 3 a.m. I didn't have to drop any kids off, but I had to get up and and help my wife get ready to go on her business trip. So, you know, I have another excuse. I have not voted yet, um, but I, I absolutely agree. You've got Hawaii, USC, UCS, Santa Barbara, Penn State, all fighting for that same piece of pie. Uh, and they, i think you could justify any one of them you know some people are going to argue well you know usc and santa Barbara, so and so and so how do you rank them it's like that was weeks ago that's not how the voting works you got to look at the body of work and you got to look at what they did last week and who it's against i mean there's all kinds of things that go into it and i find it really funny that the volley talkers of the world slammed us at the beginning of the year because oh how is this team better than this team and how's that You look at what those guys are doing on Volley Talk, what their top 15 rankings that they're doing, they're all over the map. They got teams that lost this week that they still have at number one against unranked teams. And it's like all this turmoil going on. So yeah, not so easy is it, you volley talkers? Not so easy. Um, <laughs> oh but anyways, stick is fast now. Yeah.
0: Did you, I, did I'd, you I'd
2: get a? Did you get an accent in the middle of that right? I want. <laughs> is there is there a promotional thing that Jay's getting paid on the side for volley talk that I don't know about? Yeah. I, I feel think like he a, hits volley talk seventy five times on this podcast. He gets it's a check on, on the side. I want part yeah. of this deal because I'm going to start saying volley talk, volley talk, volley talk. <laughs> so, he
1: plays his no. own drinking game. It. <laughs> he gets by two block, Jay's hammered.
0: I just saw someone did comment that there's a particular phrase we're using. I can't remember what it was, but they wanted to have a drinking game on whoever said that phrase and it wasn't volley Ooh, talk. I it was like another that. phrase. Like, what was it?
3: I don't think it's a phrase we even use. I don't even remember what it was, but when I read that, I was like, I don't even, nobody says that, but anyways, <laughs> it doesn't matter. So the, the bottom line is this uh it's a toss-up now and so you know anybody can argue anything rankings don't mean anything when it comes down to the grand scheme of things it's just kind of a you know a little boost here and there but you know there's some some really good teams that are playing really good volleyball right now and so that's kind of how it's shaking out
1: all right dave take a stab all right i yeah i voted last night uh because i was you played golf golf. yesterday (laughs) i did not very I played with one golf ball the entire day, which is a big win for me. That's, you know, Where'd you, a big you day. shoot though? No. not very well. My putting stinks. <laughs> so on the way home, I bought a putting mat and then, uh, just was putting all day. Spud was just watching him go right by. It was crazy. That's a true story. I will send a picture to anybody. Um, yeah. So for me, uh, I think USC deserves some, some credit, right? They've beaten, beaten good teams. Uh, you know, and I, I actually looked at the Massey ratings uh, to to sort of dive into some of that. The Massey ratings, I mean, if you just go on Google and search Massey ratings, men's volleyball uh, um, takes into account, I mean, I don't know, it looks like a lot of math, but uh, strength of schedule and home, away, all those things. So um,
2: is it taking elevation?
1: That's no, right. <laughs> I'll, I'll write the guy, though, Yeah, and he'll start doing that, so. I don't know if elevation, you know, if you're sea level, I don't know if that's good, bad, apparently the ball bites, but we don't spin serve really, so it doesn't matter for us. So, um, yeah, SC is up there for me. Uh, Long Beach State, I didn't rank them. I kept UCLA and Long Beach above Penn State uh, just because of the performance I saw Penn State put on out here. Just they didn't impress me too much. You know, they went to Santa Barbara and and got handled. I think it was 25-13 at one point. Um, so again, I wish that those matches were later. Cause I do agree. I think there's some valid, you know, Hey, that was the beginning of the year. Who knows what's going on and, and as a coach, right? And it's every sport. We all could coach everyone else's team better than that coach could, right? Oh, if I had that guy, I would do this. And, oh, uh, I mean, you see it in the NFL all the time. Oh, Carson Wentz, we just need to change these four things and he's going to be the man. And all of a sudden he just gets traded. So, um, we are, uh, and that's what, yeah. So everybody can coach everyone's team. You don't know the dynamics. You don't know what's going on. So, and I'm I'm victim of that too. So I'm not immune to that. But just that Penn State, just how they performed out here, losing to UCLA, losing to SC, losing to to Santa Barbara, and then when I watched the Long Beach State match, it was they ended up getting hot and winning that. But I think Long Beach State now against them probably takes care of them. So uh, I think I had them at like four Santa Barbara. Ball State, I mean, Hawaii, all those teams are up there for me. So, uh, but I think SC, um, just their consistency, right? And it's Gallus and Cobra for them. That's, that's where they're rock solid. And Jay, you play them. And I know those guys didn't have career nights uh, playing against you, but they're, they're steady. And when it counts, they're good. So.
0: Yeah. 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 The later in the year argument, I totally agree with, because if, if you look at like USC and and let's say Santa Barbara an outlier right now, three of Santa Barbara's losses are to USC, but two of them were super early in the season. And you know, Santa Barbara's playing really good ball. And the uh, former host of the, uh, the net live, Kevin Barnett, remember that after those first two losses, like, Oh man, we didn't have anyone out there. Cause you know, his son Reese is on that team. He's like, yeah, they got us at a good time because there's no way they'd beat us when we're at full strength. So right, Barney, good shot. We should have him on the show.
3: <laughs> yeah. yeah, we should. Barney's you know, Barney's got no stake in the game. So you know his opinion's gonna be you know somewhat honest and, and maybe a little abrasive, which is great. We need that kind of stuff sometimes. But you know, yeah, they are <clears throat> that's been the argument all year for some teams. Oh, they aren't full strength. Oh, they weren't full strength. Well, we weren't full strike last week. I didn't have three starters in. You don't see me complaining.
0: Yeah. Well, let's uh, go over to um, our next topic. Uh, Former colleague in the MIVA, Matt Worley, 100th win with Grand Canyon. Good accomplishment for Matt, but I mean, you guys obviously talk and have seen each other for a number of years, but uh, definitely great place to have it done at with a great team. But um share a little bit about Matt and uh his accomplishment, guys. We'll start with uh I guess Dan would be a good place to start, being that you know, Matt took the best dressed Miva coach award, or actually Matt <laughs> took it away from Dan. And then thank goodness he jumped over the MPSF. Well,
2: yeah. Um, well, congrats to Matt. And uh he's done some great things, you know. Certainly was a fantastic player and has jumped into the coaching realm over the past five to ten years and uh, was an assistant and then a head coach, and has done some really nice things. So, kudos to him and continuing to build his program. And uh, I certainly know he wants to take the next steps in terms of making an NCAA tournament. But yeah, congrats and good job,
0: Matt. Yep. Uh, you guys, anything to add there?
2: job, bro.
1: Matt, that just means you're getting old. <laughs> <laughs>
0: let's go over to the matches in week 11 it's crazy there's maybe five six weeks left in the division one two men's season and um you know weird weird enough big west has only played the three matches three conference matches and alone undefeated at the top UC Santa Barbara three and oh, everyone's got two and one or one and two so um And we don't have any Big West matches this week. (laughs) So kind of odd to try and uh, pick out what's going to happen there. But um, EIVA, along at the top, Penn State. uh, And then for the MEVA, still got Ball State and um, Loyola. And the MPSF, I didn't get a chance to pull it up really quick. Maybe Dave can jump in there. But um, I have one big overarching question with all that information. Who's at the top of uh, MPSF right now?
1: Would be UCLA, right? They're 2-0. They beat Grand Canyon twice. I think Grand Canyon, us, UCLA, or USC all have split matches. So, yep. yeah, I'm not quite sure.
0: So with that, you know, we did talk about it before going on to the show, but what does that mean in Division I-II volleyball as we get closer to postseason action and the NCAA tournament? Because we're seeing... The toppling at the top, we see teams getting hot. We have teams finding their groove. Uh, we have some unexpected teams performing well in certain conferences. But what can you gather at this point in the season? And uh, we'll start with you, Jay.
3: It, it means to me we need more men's teams. It's almost the end of March, and we have some conferences that only have more than two or three matches that have been taken care of yet. And that, you know, used to be not the case. Uh, when conferences were much bigger. And so I know we're, we're breaking off some conferences and creating new ones, which is creating more opportunities for AQs, which I, I love. I'm not upset by that, but it means we need to add some teams. We need to keep, you know, First Point or whatever, you know, organization is out there that's helping right now, needs to get after it a little bit more and get some more big Division One teams to be able to join on board. You know, I, I love seeing growth at the D2 level, the D3 level. What was that?
0: <laughs> Texas.
3: Yeah. Well, there's, there's lots of places we could, we can yeah. talk about it forever. There's a lot of great places that everybody thinks would be a great team to start off, but you know, D2 and D3 growth is great, but let's get some D1 growth. Let's start, let's start really turning those screws a little bit. And, and I know it's been a tough couple of years. I'm not trying to say, what are you doing? Why haven't you done more this year? That's not my point. My point is let's take let's keep building on this momentum that they've been doing And let's get to that next level. Let's start adding some big name Division one teams. We just need one big, real, real big name at the D1 level to get on board and show that it can be successful pretty quickly. And then you're going to see a lot more do it. So uh, I think that's what I take away from it. That's that's my first.
2: What's the optimal number uh, conference teams? Eight, 10. What do you think in your head?
3: I think probably eight or nine would be my uh, would be nine. might be a little bit big. Eight's probably the, the the number that I would like the most, but I can go with nine or ten if that's the case.
2: Yep. Dave, hey, do you have an optimal number, or do you care? <clears throat> I just get
1: real antsy when you're one away from you know not being a conference that can have an automatic bid, right? I think six is the minimum. Yeah. So um, specifically, when some of the the conferences. Most conferences have some Division two teams, right? So you got to, budgetarily, when things were tough, I think we were all worried about people dropping. So I uh, somewhere north of six. But then you get into the problem that the MPSF used to have. You have too many conference matches. Yeah. Can't schedule, schedule enough non-conference. Then how do you do that? And I don't think anybody wants to play an unbalanced schedule like the Pac-12 women do or they were doing where it's, you only play these two teams once and that rotates just like, come on guys.
2: Yeah. So that I'm on my next zoom call here coming up is this division two connections committee. I'll be curious if I hear anything about the rule about where division twos can say, Hey, I want to go division one in a singular sport. We know what's
1: what's the advantage to that? Because I I couldn't figure it out. It almost seems like D2. If you're D2, there's some rules that recruiting wise that,
2: so day, your advantage. The, Well, and I would agree with you but so like women's hockey is one of the proponents like there's a couple of things like scholarships are different from division 1 and division 2 on hockey as well as the division 1s are like we want those division 2 schools following the same recruiting rules playing rules and all that. So that that's one of the big components on that. I think men's volleyball there's a few rule differences and I get it where it's like hey I should be on the same playing field is my division one counterparts but there isn't a scholarship difference so i think that scholarship difference becomes certainly a big thing from that standpoint but there's only a few teams that maybe we make the jump maybe mckinney makes the jump um but it also looks good overall if you have more division one schools in the hopper when you're looking at the overall scheme of things like if we look at it now what is it with the NIC jumping on board, you might be around 31 or 32 when it's all said and done. In terms of that, I think we are at 26 or 27. I'm not sure what the number is. But you push that number up a little bit, which is good for the overall NCAA count of actual Division One sponsored uh, teams from that standpoint. And so, and, but yeah. yeah Lindenwood take the lead. I hear from that a little bit. From that Recently, Lindenwood is D1 now, correct? Officially? Entire university. Just, the, whole universe, the whole athletic yeah. department is going D1. So,
1: Big news? I mean, you know what? We talked about that, too. It's big news, but we saw how it worked at Cal BAP. I don't want to be the doomsday guy. You got to – it's yeah. a big financial commitment, and you got to be ready to to do what you can. You got to fundraise. You got to do all these things. Your team has to be winning. Now, Lindenwood's. Woods, you know, they've had some big wins already this year. So. How doing is what Cal they
2: Baptist and its other sports now that they've gone Division One in terms of how do they compete? Because I don't pay attention that they don't have volleyball.
1: Yeah, they're dead to me. I don't care. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, I'm so irritated. They not only did they
2: drop men's volleyball,
1: they gave Gabby Garcia to BYU, <laughs> which didn't work out well for Pepperdine at all. So
3: Well, and I'll tell you from from a, divi- a true uh, full school Division One perspective, I would love it some of those D2 schools would go by the same recruiting rules that we did. Cause that's, that's an advantage uh, that those schools have. And I can't tell you how many times the kids come up and go, well, I, I did this with so-and-so and I did that with so-and-so and I go, yeah, but they're D2. I, I can't I don't, do anything. I'm
2: curious what rule you're talking about. Cause. Well,
3: the one that. where you, the one where you smile and look at all of us as you go and
1: talk to a kid, you know, mid-match or something.
2: <laughs> I can't, you can't do, you can't do that at D2. I can't talk to a kid till the end of the day. Just so you know, so I'm just curious. It was a joke. Calm down. <laughs> wow. Getting so, chippy here. <laughs> yeah. Got to know the rules. I know my rules. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you know, uh, well, this week coming up in week 11, though, um, what what specifically are you guys be looking for? Because it's it's kind of a wonky week. We we have some conference matches, but again, Big West isn't playing. And there's some interesting matchups cross conference that I uh, was uh, curious that you guys are looking at. So, uh, well, I, think you take the, I think
2: the even the meetup got a lot going on. So, just in terms of conference play, so you got us playing McHenry, Ball State playing Ohio State,
3: Loyola playing Purdue, Fort Wayne. I think there's some Penn State, some George big Mason
0: day. closing out on Sunday, right?
3: Yeah, we play in the Eagle Bank Arena for that one, too. We're going to try to get as many people as we possibly can. That'll be fun. And St. Francis is going to play Princeton. That's going to be a really good match. So, yeah, there's some good stuff going out Midwest and East Coast.
2: Jay, how many does that hold again, Eagle Bank Arena? I couldn't remember. 10,000. Yeah. Wow. It was so cool to play in front of 4,500 fans again, just so you guys know. Like, it was incredible in terms of the energy uh, yeah. for Hawaii. So, kudos to Hawaii and all those fans that came out uh it was really neat uh from that standpoint I, what was that the Irvine Long Beach match
0: oh gosh I didn't see the official number it had to be right around upwards of 2000 ish yeah.
2: just it's so, so great these kids are getting back in front of fans and playing which is really cool so yeah
0: yeah not cool having to wear a mask during a broadcast though and then you take it off and it's dripping saliva so it's not very good for me but hey I'm just uh, abiding by the rules right now until the 19th, which apparently everything drops. So, <laughs> um, hey, you know, one of the matches or two, Ball State at Ohio State, a big Miva matchup. Uh, thought for sure when he would have jumped on that one there because, uh, I mean, Ball State been doing some really good things they there, top of the Neva, and Ohio right. State, we know they got the power.
2: Maybe we got to work on your listening skills, dude. You know I, mean, I did mention that just so
1: you know. <laughs> What's oh, oh. today what's your problem? wow damn hey
3: the guy got like two hours of sleep you got that I man he's gonna be a little bit crabby so that's a <laughs> it <Iron> away. <laughs> <laughs> do you guys practice today
2: uh we just got uh film and weights so
1: yeah that's gonna be a brutal film session i can feel it already just you know
2: what the hell are we doing here yeah uh, you know, i just, just
0: bring tj murray hey, he makes everyone feel good
1: yeah any oh, lewis nice. guy right now hey I'm I'm sorry for you guys.
0: <laughs> All right, fine. Then we'll talk about CSUN at Pepperdine then, because Sun's one of the teams like you have the athletes, they can perform, and they got some really good pieces in place. And uh, your guys right now, you know, they're, they your pins have been pretty good. Just uh, you have some some losses along the way there.
1: So you're talking about so our you know, guys? the other
0: guys to talk first, or do you want to go, Dave?
1: Well, I'll, I'll I'm going to give a quick. Po- I I was looking at some numbers this week. There's a lot of pins that are performing at a really high level, like just across the board. You got uh the Bulgarian at Long Beach State who's having a great year, could be a player of the year candidate. Um, you got Wildman that's that's off the charts. Jalen Jasper, and maybe this shocks me because I'm I'm looking at it. Jalen Jasper's putting together a nice stretch. He's the last eight matches, he's hitting like four over four hundred. And it yeah, it's pretty impressive. And maybe because he's so athletic and does all these nice things. People are just like, oh, oh. all right. Yeah, that's sort of expected. But yeah. against McKendree, when he had 50 swings and hit 600, and yeah, I mean, Jay could talk about him a little bit more. He just played us. But he's he's putting together. He started off slow because he hadn't played in two years. And now he's playing some pretty good volleyball.
2: Dave, do you think offenses are up this year <laughs> over across the board? Or do you think just, uh I don't know, just curiosity in terms of? Or I is it, were you going to say,
1: or defense is down? Is that the other? That's yeah, I what I agree. think.
2: I think defenses are down. Not, I think not discrediting some of the great pins, but I think across the board, as I'm watching it, I think the defensive piece is not as good as it maybe has been on some, some teams in the past.
1: So I agree. And I, I think that's a, a function of read blocking is a hard skill to just to develop, right? So I've talked to some good coaches that think it could take two years for a guy to become a really good read blocker in terms of I see the right things, I put myself in a good spot. Um, specifically when you're playing, you know, Wildman's a fifth year guy or fourth year yeah, guy,
2: fifth Jay. year guy, right?
1: Fifth yeah. year guy, yeah. Jalen's a fifth year guy. Nikolov's been playing high level volleyball for years, so he's not just a freshman. But just all of a sudden now, you're taking a really experienced attacker and you're putting him against guys that maybe aren't as sharp as they will be later in their careers, blockers. And
3: yeah, offensive numbers are high.
0: Yep. Jay, nothing to add, huh?
3: Well, I. I, I... Yeah. Jasper's pretty good. The guy hits up at a pretty high altitude, you know, with his altitude and Pepperdine's above sea level altitude, that's way up there. And the ball, yeah,
1: yeah. the ball
3: sails a little bit longer when he hits up there. So just, just so people don't know. Um, but no, I mean, listen, he's right. There's a lot of, there's a lot of outside hitters, a lot of pin duos out there. Somebody on volley Talk put together this thing where there's some couple of uh, players on each team that they're matching up together that are doing some nice things. And it's, it's really good to, to see that people are paying attention to that stuff. So, uh, you know, I, I don't think it should be a surprise. I, I, I don't know if I put Jalen in the player of the year candidate uh, uh, category yet, but nope. he's obviously doing you know, good things and Steele, his other outside hitters, doing some nice things. I was a little bummed, though. I didn't see my boy Spencer Wickens playing on the outside. I thought for sure we were going to see that kid. But uh, no, Pepperdine, you know, Pepperdine's a good team. And uh, they got a good setter and he runs a good offense. and – you know, it's fun to play against them, fun fun to see a high-level
2: game. Got to give a plug for Volley Venue there, doing some good things, again, on their ranking stuff, just so you know. Jeremy. Yeah,
3: yeah.
0: The comparisons yeah. coming out, I'll always look for that one. You know, actually, Dan, you bring up something that I was wondering uh, in the last few broadcasts, but, you know, with all these pin attacker heavy stats, like, we're seeing the numbers, you know, we're seeing great performances, but um, does that mean that offenses aren't going, or is it because they – the middles aren't as involved anymore, or passing's not that good serving tougher because I feel like there aren't as many attempts had coming from the middle position. Um, and you even know, well, it'll be position. Ever,
2: I haven't done this yet And in, in Mitchum's a little bit of anomaly. Um, and then the pit, you got Penn States in and I don't know I can list about four or five middles off the top of my head, but it'll be curious to see the numbers at the end of the year with the middle attacking position, either attempts kill percentage and hitting percentage and just kind of what that looks like. Um, you know, Voss is another guy that's kind of in there. And, you know, I, I don't think that's as deep in that position as you've seen in past years. I do think there's some elite ones that there's four, five, six of those guys that are pretty darn good from that standpoint, but I don't think there's as many elite medals by any means as there are pins right now,
3: and yeah. especially
2: on the front right now with how we're seeing some offenses being carried, but, you know, Dave might have some other numbers in his head, but that's just what I've seen a little bit. So.
0: Yeah. Thoughts, Dave? Because I mean I feel like there has been as much, but I'm very limited in what I can see. So <clears throat> I,
1: yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I can't tell you again, it falls under that umbrella of we can all coach other people's teams better and they can't. So um <laughs> and then get well, I, fired. <laughs> yeah, and then get fired. Um, so it's I mean, I say that it's it's just a commentary. I mean, sort of what we do. We sit here and we commentate, but we're not in each other's gyms. We don't really know. So we can speculate as much as we want, but um Yeah, I, I don't know. I would agree with Dan. I think you know, from a national team level, I think there were some middles coming out maybe last year or eligibility wise that could have graduated last year that was probably deeper than we've seen in terms of their ability to contribute at, at the next level. Um, but it's hard, you know, when your pins are producing at such a high level, it's hard to say, hey, go away from them. So I also yeah. see as a setter, you want to go to the guys that are going to be able to produce. The bummer is, I think, you know, at the end of the year when there's small american stuff, some of those pins are putting up numbers where you can't leave them off an All-American list just to put on a middle, right? Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, I mean, it would be hard to make that argument, right? And we usually have that argument with the libero. I know, Dan, you had changed that last year, right? There used to be that requirement that you had to have a libero on first or second team that we said. Let's just put the best players. Now, Mason Briggs, you can probably make an argument that he, he's a first-team All-American, so that could take care of itself. But, yeah, I mean, it's – yeah, I'm just pretty impressed with, with some of the kill percent and hitting efficiencies of some of the pins across the country.
2: Well, I'm just glad we are, but I have two more spots on both those All-American teams because now it goes from 10 to 12 on both teams because – and, and it's great we had the honorable mention thing, but it's great that we've expanded those two teams because there's a lot of talent. You know, in terms of that. So, and you're still going to miss a couple guys no matter what you do, but uh, it's better that we get a few more on
3: there. So, and then, and if we keep expanding, then we're going to have a third, third team All American, which is what the women do and which is what should happen for us.
1: But for people also that don't know, when you submit your All American numbers, you submit your All American numbers against all teams, but then also against ranked teams. Right. And a lot of people don't realize, oh, so and so, you had great numbers, but then you're like, yeah, but then when he played teams that were ranked, wasn't quite as good. And they don't um, see
2: the, and they don't see those numbers like that committee does. You know, you see those ranked numbers and you're comparing these two guys and it's like, hey, and that's that's really what you're going off of You really <clears throat> start separating a little bit. So,
3: and the other cool thing is that, you know, what the, the fans, the average fan doesn't see is, you know, we talk about a lot of different stats across the board. It's not just hitting percentage, it's not just service percentage. You know, for some of them were, you know, outside hitters, especially there, there also got to be some passing numbers and some coaches maybe haven't seen some passers from other teams, but they get a chance to go to volley metrics, get a chance to look at what their body of work looks like and see how they were. And you can make some better, you know, some better estimated guesses. So (coughs) there's a lot of, there's a lot of moving parts and for people that go how did so-and-so get left off. Well, trust me, the coaches that are in the room know what they're doing. That, yeah. I think
2: that passing one's a key one because this guy may be passing 700 balls on the air. And this guy's at 400 and the guy's passed, the guy with 700 is passing a two six and the guy with 400 is passing a two two. It's like, and they're hitting the same. It's like, well, he's, he's keeping the other side of the offense, even that much more interest. You know what I mean? yep. So,
0: yep. Someone's yep. got to get a screen capture that volumetrics metrics breakdown just so they can see that's legit. I mean, obviously I know people who can show that to me, but you know, that the, the layman doesn't. So, well,
3: and in, 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 in all due defense, you know, volumetrics is not the be all end all. There's obviously some things that are off a little bit. You know, we, we've seen a number of things over the course of the years where you're watching a guy hit, and you're seeing his loop and all of a sudden there's another guy hitting in his spot, getting that kill. OK, it happens. Right. But it and, and sometimes you look at the numbers of passers and you're like, how is that a four pass when it's on the 10 foot line? And that one's a, a one pass and it's on the eight foot line. There's some things that happen like that. It's not perfect science, but on the whole, we're getting all that information <laughs> and we're able to see and, and, and discuss it in the uh, in the All American Committee meeting. And it's you know there's some good stuff in there.
0: Yeah, I think it's a good place to end our episode here, week 11 of the uh, viral volley podcast edition of College Volleyball Weekly. Always thankful for Dave Hunt of Pepperdine, Dan Friend of Lewis, and Jay Hossick of George Mason. Have a great week and good luck.